So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, and uh, David, I am ready for an uplifting recovery story. I think you can. You have what? Serve today. one up. <laughs> it is. It yeah? is the day. Let me tell you. We don't even need like a setup because this story. Uh, our guest today. This will tell itself. And once our, our listeners get into this, about thirty seconds in, they're going to be hooked. For you know, for a great, great story of um, inspiration, motivation, uh, experience, strength, and hope, to say the least. Um, so, man, hang with us. This is this is an amazing story today. And welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, David, once again, you have dipped into your wide circle of acquaintances and brought us a five-star guest, somebody with a fascinating story and uh, an inspiring story of usefulness and ministry. Would you introduce uh, Trina for us? I absolutely will. Um, I am really, really happy to get Trina Frierson with us today because Trina is the co-founder, president, and CEO of Mending Hearts, um, which is a, a program here in Nashville, the greater Nashville area, uh, that serves women in a number of capacities. Um, it's a recovery treatment therapeutic program, women with addiction and co-occurring disorders, women who uh, are transitioning from uh, some from incarceration, uh, but women who might otherwise be homeless um, due to addiction, if it weren't for this program. And I got the opportunity to hear Trina at a couple of their fundraisers, um, uh, over the last few years and, uh, and hear her story. And so Trina, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for making time this morning to join us. Thank you both. Uh, man, it's, it's always an honor and a privilege, uh, to be of service to our, women in need, but more so uh, those of us uh, in recovery, you know, fighting addiction. Uh, you know, I, I, I recently was talking to a friend of mine and, uh, you know, we, we are geared up and, 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 and protecting ourselves from this pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. But when I think about my personal pandemic, um, mm. I struggled for so long um, due to addiction in and out of drugs, you know, incarceration, uh, and, you know, uh, it wasn't that, you know, I was born into addiction uh, 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 of this lifestyle. Uh, 
I do know that uh, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, and, you know, we know it's hereditary and it comes down to gene and someone. Mm-hmm. Every family uh, is predicted to have this. And whether they address it or not, it's mm-hmm. in every family. It does not discriminate. And so mm. I'm, 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 I'm forever grateful, and, and, and people may think that I'm insane, but I, I am forever grateful for my pandemic of addiction. Um, <laughs> and I am truly grateful that there was a circle of love built prior to my knowledge. You know, I think about coming up as a little girl over in East Nashville and born to a family of six, but, you know... Um, it wasn't, we wasn't raised to do drugs. We didn't go to the grocery store and pick something off the shelf and say, Hey, I want an addiction, you know, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but it came up in the lifestyle. Uh, you know, I was, went to public schools, played basketball, got a scholarship first year, did fine at, um, Nashville state community college in Gallatin. Um, you know, uh, had opportunities, you know, visited other colleges and uh, felt the need to stay at home. Uh, grew up and, uh, you know, my mom came from eighth grade level. So, you know, college and, and prepping a child for college, you know, I didn't have that luxury. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I kind of followed suit of staying close to home and, you know, but my mom worked two jobs, done a well job in raising us. And my addiction didn't start until I got became an adult. Um, really, you know, but when I look back at the history of my life, you know, I think about some of the encounters I had with my first use of any drug or substance that I had, you know, uh, when I look back, there was always a family member, Mm. close friend Mm. that initiated or introduced me to this process And while early on, you know, the onset, it wasn't a behavior thing or a need to continue or repeat or the obsession and compulsion hadn't kicked in. You know, Uh, it was until I got grown and uh, got introduced to it and found myself uh, repeating it and, you know, um, came home one day and my oldest, uh, my two girls' fathers was in the kitchen using drugs and, you know, swore that I didn't need it and 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 they were IV using and they showed me how to smoke it in a cigarette and you know um I was looking for that weekly get together mm. and uh at one point I guess uh they decided to go elsewhere either because I wasn't part of that IV use or I was using too much of their drugs and wasn't contributing. I don't <laughs> you know yeah uh, but I found myself one day getting off from work going where I thought they'd go and purchasing some. And I remember the drug dealer being very upset um, to the fact that I would come over and purchase because they see me in a different lens. They didn't see me as the ordinary guy, girl, purchasing and using drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, He got very angry and said, you know, uh, I'm going to talk to him. He knows better than this, but he never sent me. Right. And so one of the things that happened, I found myself going and he wouldn't sell me drugs no more. And so I found where there were some more. And I was kind of individually using myself. And then a family member came by one day and told me, quit wasting uh, my money in using powder drugs and showed me how to cook crack. And oh, wow. Uh, oh, wow. 
think that was the day the beast was really released. Mm. Uh, I found myself wanting more. I found myself leaving my kids with my mom who had stage four cancer. I found myself leaving weeks at a time, couldn't find a way to come back home. You know, uh, just wanted that one more. Mm. And, um, Eventually, I got my first charge uh, altercation with my brother and went to jail for six months. But, you know, I spent 10 years. Uh, the most time I did was like two and a half years. Uh, then I would get out and do another, uh, stay out a month or two and go back and do six months. Then I get out, do a year. Then I get out and, you know, and do a two years. And so, mm-hmm. you know, um, that went on for about 10, 12 years. And, um, man, I thank God uh, for jails and institutions. I don't pray and think that we need more, but, but, but it has a place. Um, mm. and, and, and if it's done the way it was done for me uh, about providing resources and services inside the institution, uh, I think that uh, it has a place in this world as well. And so sometimes, you know, I look back and I think about if I had not been incarcerated, had not went to jail, um, I don't know where I would be today. Um, Mm. There was a seed planted in there through treatment. Um, I tell people all the time, my counselor uh, challenged me to go to treatment because I was the girl on the other side of the pod, you know, talking about these women had been brainwashed. And, and making fun of them and calling them out of their names. And uh, she challenged me one day and she said, the only reason you're doing that is because you're scared to get help and you're scared to change. And you're afraid of what people are going to think of you because you've changed. Mm-hmm. And she made me a bet and said that I promise you that if you give me 30 days and you survive 30 days, I promise to give you a bottom bunk for the rest of your stay here. Now, <laughs> anybody wow. know if you go to jail and get a bottom bunk, <laughs> listen, it's like having a California king bed with the foam cool jail top. <laughs> it, is, it is the thing. So, um, that was a true carrot for me. And, uh, man, I took on the challenge. Uh, and I got over there uh, and, and I was sluggish and I wasn't ready for the system. You know, they had to be up at like six o'clock in the morning oh, um, and I would oversleep uh, and you had to have your bed made. You had to be dressed, ready, breakfast done, everything. And um, man, I would I, I'm telling you. I was so out of sort, uh, but what happened was. There were some women in there that believed in me. Mm. And those women woke me up, helped me make my bed until I could do it for myself. Wow. And so as a result, uh, I finally found my rhythm. And, you know, I can't tell you the day, the time or the hour uh, when it happened. But somehow I found my way. Mm. And the women believed in me. And I started doing our rituals and all that. And uh, 
I ended up staying past 30 days. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you get and your bed? <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, told you. It's, uh, I got to keep my bottom bump. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and one of the things that happened that we were in group and something happened to make me start getting honest about my situation and talking about my real issues. Mm. And one of the things that came out is that I got a phone call from my oldest child and she, I said, you know, mama love you. When I get out, the circus is coming. We're going to go to the circus. We're going to get up some ice cream, go to the park. You know, I was, I was promising her these things. Mm-hmm. And this nine-year-old child said, Mama, that's what you always say every time you go to jail. Mm-hmm. And that hit me so hard. It was like one of those rugged edge knives sticking you in your, in your, in your mm-hmm. gut and turning. Yeah. I went back to my bunk crying because I was broken because I felt like that one person, that oldest child of mine that I knew believed in me no matter what. Because this is the child when I was in active addiction would walk the streets looking for her mom. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I knew she believed that no matter how people talked about her mother, she would be in school fights because people were talking about her mother walking the streets, being a junkie, you know. uh, And when that when I felt that feeling that that child was giving up, it was crushing. It hurt. And so I until uh, went to my bunk crying, snotting and the counselor said, uh, what are you crying about? <laughs> and I told her, and she was like, so are you crying because your feelings hurt <laughs> or it's the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, I said, man, I don't know that hurt, that hurt. She said, uh, yeah, and it's the truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was angry at her. She said, but if you want to get better, Quit calling home, trying to focus and control things on the outside. Mm. These are the things that you neglected. You can't fix them while you're on the inside trying to fix you. You want to get better. Go back in there, share about your feelings and tell the truth. And, uh, Mm. you know, that's what I begin to do. And as a result, uh, things start to change in my life. Uh, just being honest and talking openly about my real truths and what happened in my life. And, you know, uh, at some point I became an intern leader of the group. And, and, and it, it's crazy. We're talking about the girl that didn't want to get up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so somehow I become the leader of the group and it was like three of us. And, uh, I began to start speaking in group and coaching people how, you know, we should be able to tell our truths. And uh, before you know it, uh, I was leading a group. And, um, man, we started leading those groups and judges and things started to come visit. And, you know, we would speak before them. Um, But it got it got so interesting that. I started running group almost daily. Oh, wow. And uh, 
I had built this thing called um, Recovery Relapse. Um, I forgot the other one. But, you know, it, it, it went on for a while. And uh, when it got time, I remember going to court, putting me off, going to court, putting me off, you know, because I, I, I got charged 17 time felon. Um, and and wow. some charges were guns and weapons. And so, um, because I'd had previous felonies before acquiring those 17, and I think they were like 24 or 30 something uh, total, but some of them was redundant. And so, one of the things that happened when I got ready to go to court this last time, um, they offered me 30 years at 30%, said no, eight at 30 is what I ended up with. And uh, I was grateful because I had already been sitting in jail doing time. And I knew that at eight at 30 and they said, do a year flat and seven years of paper. It's like, cool. I didn't already did that. I'm about to go home. Mm. And uh, the judge said, but I want you to go back to relapse prevention. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, he said, yeah. I said, no, your honor, I taught that class while I was incarcerated before I was the leader. Mm. And he said, really? I said, yeah. I said, I'm telling you, I ran the groups. I was the intern. Uh, I mean, I think you can ask anybody out there. He said, oh, okay. So you ran the group. You taught the group. I said, yes. I said, I, I was a leader. We we woke people up. We made them follow the rules. We did groups. He said, man. And then he hit that um, whatever it is they use. Oh, the and, gavel? Yeah. He said, I order you to relapse prevention. He said, it is amazing that you went in there and taught all that, but now I need you to go learn it. I want you to do it. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. And, uh, man, I came out of there kicking and screaming. Oh, yeah. And I go back to the group, and I'm kicking indoors, and I'm just really just abruptly angry. Mm. And uh, the counselor came to me and said, you know, just because you're court ordered to treatment don't mean I have to accept you for treatment. Mm. She said, so you can go over and spend your time. And while you may have a year uh, to flatten this year, she said, the other component is you have to have a certificate from this treatment center in order to present to the judge before you leave. I said, so if I go over in population, (laughs) Mm. you saying I just can't go do my time. I still got to come back. She said, yeah, if you go spend a year over there and just do your time. She said, then you got to come back over here another year and do relapse prevention. Oh, man. I said, oh, no. (laughs) 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 So I go on over and I participate, but I'm stubborn at first and, uh, the group tells me, say, you know, you need to take ownership for your actions. Um, and we looked up to you. You got so much to offer. You should be out there helping other people. And instead, you taught us the tools, but you didn't go use the tools. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was an eye opener for me. And so I began to reinvest myself. 
And after reinvesting myself, I did it. I came home. Uh, the beauty of coming home this time, um, which is over 24 years ago, come April the 27th, I'll have 25 years clean. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. And so what happened different for me, I believe, is that, you know, this time I didn't get out of jail and walk to Harding Place, which is the corner of pickup, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't get out of jail and go to the bus stop. I didn't have somebody meet me there. I didn't hitchhike a ride. They came to roll up one and pick me up and took me straight to a halfway house. Mm -hmm. And in, in the moment of that, you know, there was struggles because I was supposed to go to DC4, which is a two-year program, um, but somewhere down the line, uh, a couple days before I get out, I get a phone call, and it's from a gentleman who was um, over the public defender's office. Great guy, true soldier servant, uh, Jeff Bloom. I owe him so much. Um, he actually called me on the station phone where the officer said, and uh, the officer, the guard said, hey, Trina, you got a phone call. And so I'm already fearful that, you know, I need to weigh out these three days. Don't do nothing wrong. I'm going home. And so they said, you got a phone call. I said, not on that phone. Inmates can't touch that desk phone. You go to mm -hmm. sleep. She said, girl, you got a call. I said, no, no, no. Put it on speakerphone. And so he said, hey, Trina, it's Jeff. I need to talk to you. I said, Jeff, you know I can't get on this phone? He said, no, you can't. I've already uh, been through security. And I called the women. I said, y'all hear this? He said I can pick up his phone. Y'all my witness, right? Mm. And yeah. he said, yeah, yeah. And so I get on the phone. He said, hey, there's been a change in your case. I said, oh, man, Jeff. He said, listen, just hear me out. Uh, you're not going to the two-year program. Um but you are going to a two-year program, um, but instead you're going over to um, the two years women outpatient program where you'll go in a halfway house. And then from the halfway house, you'll go to IOP and you'll get a job. He said, unlike DC4, you stay in the compound for about 14 months before you can even go out to get a job. Mm. I was like, man, I just want to go home. He said, no, Trina, remember, we got to do something different. And um, I said, okay. He said, so you're going to uh, Dr. Linda Hazel's program. Uh, somebody's going to pick you up, take you to the halfway house. You know, you'll be required to get a job and you go to IOP and go to meetings. And I was like, all right. But the beauty of them picking me up was, is that I got to that place and I didn't have time to go and get back with my friends. I didn't have time to go back over in that same environment that got me here. And so one of the things that happened was she picked me up. When I got there, there was a lady in there that I used with on the streets. She gave me my first weapon to protect myself on the streets. Uh, wow. and, and I get there and uh, I'm like, wow. And she said, hey, welcome. And she embraced me. And I said, what's up, G-Money? She said, Boo, my name is not G-Money. My name is Janae. We don't use street names in here. And oh, wow. Here's my thought process again. I said, oh, my God, they done brainwashed her. 
<laughs> uh, I said, okay, okay. She said, and I won't be calling you T-Fry. You can be Katrina or Trina. You tell me which one. I was like, wow, wow. And so she got to begin to tell me the rules and, and you know, the daily process of, of being there. And uh, and I was like, how do I get food, blah, 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 blah. She said, you're not going to get any food stamps because you have a felon. She said, but here's the food banks right here. You'll go here on this day. If you go on Wednesday, you get a hot meal, too. She said, um, we'll take you to Goodwill. We'll take you to the clothes closet. And uh, I remember them taking me to the clothes closet. And um, there was nothing for me. I was a big girl weighing 450 pounds. I laid in jail, ate all the Zuzus and Wham Whams. You know, um, <laughs> so I couldn't come, come out wearing what I went in with. And, you know, one of the things uh, that happened for me along the way is that I didn't have family support. Uh, I was truly indigent. Uh, but the girl said, hey, go to the food bank, bring the food back to the house. That's your contribution to the house. When we eat, you eat. I was like, man, that ain't fair. She said, yes, it is. She said, we got to pay it forward and you'll be able to help somebody along the way. And so they began to do that. But then it got time that I needed to go to meetings. They would help and make sure I got to meetings. They helped me build a support network. They would come and get me, help me find a sponsor. And so that went on. And then it got time, you know, it was time to go look for a job. I didn't have any money. You know, uh, I struggled. Uh on a daily basis at first 60 days, man, 90 days, mm-hmm. thinking about going back to the old lifestyle. Well, just go get a pack, make you some money and come back and get on your feet. Well, they gave me a bus pass and said, hey, here's my bus pass. I'm off the next two days. You can use it. And then another lady said, hey, I'm off this day. Hey, I'm off this day. I can give you a ride and pick you up. And so, man, they poured into me and embraced me without my permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and the most beautiful thing is, is that, you know, I woke up one day and there was this big black trash bag on the front porch because I my self-esteem had went low because I only came out of jail with three T-shirts and two pair of jogging pants. And so in that process, uh, you know, I quit going to meetings because I felt like people were talking about me. Now, mind you, I never heard anybody talking about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt like they were talking about me. Uh-huh. And so I stopped going in that atmosphere. And thank God that there was a woman. Uh, she's still clean today, doing some great stuff in the community. Uh, Regina said, uh, why aren't you going to meetings? I said, man, they're talking about me. And I'm wearing these same jail gray and whites. And. She said, uh, who? Where they at? She's getting upset. I guess she's ready to address them. I said, man, I ain't really him, but you know, they whispering, blah, blah, blah. She said, well, come and go with me. I said, no, I'm not going to no meeting, Gina. She said, I'm not going to take it. Just come and go with me. And so she took me, uh, man, it was a beautiful day. She took me to Kmart on Gallatin Road um, and bought me my first two outfits. Wow. And uh, it was just amazing. Uh, she gave me hope. Uh, she, she, she encouraged me that things are going to be all right. And the next day, uh, and I still get emotional about this one. Mm. 
uh, it's when I woke up and uh, there was this big like trash bag on the porch. But before that, you know, the girl in the house said, hey, Trina, there's a package for you out there. And I was like, well, why didn't you get it? She was like, it says for Trina only. I didn't want to touch it. I'm like, man, she's just being a smart A, right? <laughs> and so I said, uh, okay. And so back then, I've always had fear. I was early in recovery. You know, I didn't even have 60 days out to join. I had a year clean, but in population, real community, I don't even think I had 60 days. And yeah. she said, uh, for you, and I always had fear that the police had forgot to arrest me for something. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's how much destruction I did to myself in the community, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that was always my fear. And then I thought that, hey, man, here goes some child support. Here goes something. I owe somebody. And uh, so I peeked out the window and I seen this bag out there. I was like, okay. And then I peeked on around the corner making sure ain't nobody over there trying to trick me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I I go on. I get the bag, and I'm man. I open this bag, and uh, this amazing aroma of uh, fabric softener comes up. Mm. And uh, remind you, I tell you, I was 450 pounds. Uh, so like. Whew, I couldn't find clothes in Goodwill. I couldn't find clothes at the shelter. It just wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I opened this bag and I pull out these clothes and they're clean. They smell good and they fold it so neatly. Um, I just sit there on the couch and cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't have a return name on it, like from such and such. Um, and uh, I opened them, and uh, man, there was some clothes in there, and it was like some some jogging pants, some shorts, some shirts, and I mean pants and jeans, and oh my god, khakis, and and, and I just oh my god, um, and my favorite outfit in that bag was some red sweatpants. And this purple Mickey Mouse shirt. Oh wow! And man, um, I tell you, it's it's crazy, and it comes full circle. Um, I always tell that sh- story about my favorite outfit, and uh, and I don't know to this day who sent it to me. Wow! But I've been looking for that purple Mickey Mouse shirt, and somebody sent it to my office. <laughs> And to this day, I don't know who it is, uh, but they found that purple Mickey Mouse shirt for me. And so uh, I'm thankful for God to that. But, you know, uh, that bag of clothes inspired me, man. Uh, it, the clothes weren't new. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would go up in that meeting as if I just pulled them off the shopping rack. Yeah. And, and my self-esteem had went to an all time high and I was going to meetings and 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 I was sharing my truths about feelings. And, you know, the first couple of months, shoot, I think I cried in meetings probably six months about my children uh-huh. uh, because that one child told me, if you love me, you'll come and get me. 
me, my mm-hmm. sister, and my brother. And her understanding that I lived in a halfway house and she couldn't be with me at that point. You know, she couldn't visit, but I done lost all parental rights. So I couldn't make her understand that like, hey, we're going to get to visit, but we're never going to get to live together like that more. Mm-hmm. So she was real defiant. I mean, the whole nine. And so, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I got a job. Um, I'm like 30, 45 days out of uh, getting ready to leave the program. And it's time to move out and get your own place now. And I am subpoenaed to court. And I just know it's about child support, uh, some fines and fees or whatever. Uh, Or it could have been about a case. Maybe I forgot. But when I get there, it's juvenile court. Uh, I do remember getting a charge for endangering a child in my last bus because there was a seven-year-old child in the house. And so I'm thinking it could be about that. But I get there, and here's my daughter, her aunt, and her dad. Mm. And the judge is asking me about my recovery. He said, Ms. Franklin, you're doing wonderful things in recovery. And, uh, man, I look back and you've just done some great work. How's life working for you now? I said, it's going good, Your Honor. He said, you still clean? I said, yes, sir. He said, good. He said, I've heard great reports about you. And I'm like, oh, my God, is these folks following me? All right. And so <laughs> uh, we go on with the case and they said, uh, Mr. Williams, uh, your child has been in this um, shelter because she was in my oldest daughter was in Telehome, a girl's home. The next daughter mm. was with the aunt because she had a heart condition. And the my son had went to Alabama in a, a home for incarcerated moms. And so I've lost all parental rights at this point. And so what I want to do is try to be the best parent I can be without, you know, full custody or whatever. But the truth of the matter is I didn't think I was capable of being a parent and it was okay with me that I lost my parental rights. Mm. That was my thinking, Mm. you know, because all the harm, abandoned and neglect that I'd imported on them. I didn't think I was fit. And so I had got in my mind that it's okay just support them on birthday schools and any encounter that they have, you know, always make a room for them. So if they come and visit, you know, you'll have a place for them. Mm-hmm. And so that was my intent, man. And uh, I went to court today and uh, they talked with the father and the father said, you know, I don't want my child in that atmosphere with her mother. I don't agree with her lifestyle. And so uh, mind you, he's in addiction and mm-hmm. the judge see it, and he tells the judge, well, I'm headed to go get in treatment today. And so he said, well, wait a minute, Mr. Williams, you don't want him with the mother, but you're headed to get treatment, and she's already in recovery doing just well. And uh, he said, but she done lost the custody and blah, 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 blah. I'm the only one who really had true custody. And uh, he said, well, Mr. Williams, this is what I think needs to happen. You go ahead and get treatment, but let's get this baby back in the care of family. And uh, I ordered this child back to her mother today. I said, whoa, 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 Yana. <laughs> I said, I live in a halfway house and we can't have kids, right? And this is the fear and the low self-esteem and 
feeling unworthy and low self-worth that I'm not capable. So all it set in and, 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 and so I'm rejecting my child again and don't know it. But what happened was he said, when do you get out? I said, uh, I think I got about, I'm crying now. I think I got about 30 days. He said, okay, clerk, help her find an apartment and get some furniture in that house and put that mom and that child back together. And I'm going to check on you in a couple of months, Miss Ferguson. And uh, if you need anything, you let us know. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Oh my God. Mm. And so I go home crying. And uh, I tell her, I said, man, I, they want me to get my child back. And I ain't got nowhere to live. I'm badly taking care of myself and blah, 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 blah. There is no real joy in this matter at the time. Mm. And so I'm fearful that I'm going to fail again. Mm. And the women, two of the women said, what about we're going to get a big house and we're going to help you raise that baby? Wow. What about we're going to all pay rent? We're going to get a room so she can have her own room and you can have your own room. And then we're going to help you, Trina. We're going to all live there together. Wow. And uh, I went back to treatment the next day, my outpatient. And, uh, man, they had me counseling the rest of the week. Uh, I tell anybody, you know, even our 12-step process, the one that I'm participating in, which is Narcotics Anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but the thing that it tells us in there is sometime we're going to need some outside help, right? Uh, and I tell people in recovery, man, I so much believe in therapy and I'm grateful that it was in the onset of my recovery. Uh, when I went back to tell those people how I was feeling and f- afraid to take my child back, uh, she allowed me to know that that was okay. And there was some healthy fear. Mm. And so mm. with that, man, they wrapped support around me. This is how, you know, when God is good and there's a purpose for your life. I was a felon. Nobody would rent to me. We were bumping into these walls. I tell my therapist, she say, Trina, I want you to look and whatever you find that can be sustainable for you, I want you to call me. She said, I believe in you so much that I will co-sign for you to have a she said, I don't think you're going to fail. And if you fall short, you feel like you're falling short, you call me. And I'm telling you, she signed that lease. Uh, we got in there, man, courts help with furniture. Uh, my friends, uh, man, they, my first sponsor saved $5. I slept on the floor. For the first two months, my sponsor helped me buy my mattress by saving $5 a week. And we went to the hotel furniture place. And I had a cardboard box from Walmart, um, Kmart. It was made like a dresser, but it was made of cardboard. Hmm. And that's how I lived for the first year out in my recovery. And eventually, like six, nine months, you know, I would save enough to get up by a real dresser. Yeah. But but one of the things that was so inspiring through this process is that the two roommates that started with me, I, Lord rest her soul, one of them, she's passed now, but 
eventually they both went back to jail and mm. I was, and, uh, because I had was so engaged in my recovery, uh, people started coming and say, Hey, what can we do? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I was making it work. And then I was looking for roommates and, uh, a, a friend of mine that I knew on the streets had later came and we were going to meetings together and she was helping me find these roommates. And, uh, and then eventually she said, Hey, I'm going to move in and we can do this. And so we did. And uh, so we became friends. We also engaged in a relationship. Um, and, and, and so along the way, uh, we actually moved. I got the daughter back. And then, for you know it, it's a domino effect. I'm back in court again for another child. Domino effect back in jail. Wow. I mean, back um, in court for another child. And, like, God is just producing this stuff without my permission. But, man, uh, these people showed up and supported me through this process. And as a result, you know, Charlotte and I, we started a cleaning service. And we bought our first house. And kids just started coming back in. and. And before you know it, um, we had to move out of that house because we were uh, we got all these children now. And then we got her daughter. And so now we move out to a bigger house and I'm thinking of selling this one. But I'm also helping women come out of jail. I'm going back telling the story. I got them coming out saying, Trina, can you help me? And so I'm sending them these piece of paper, mailing it back to them saying, hey, go here for this, go here for this. And eventually something hit my mind and said, you know what, you need to start a resource center for women coming out of jail and they can come and see the PO, take a drug test, you know, find clothes, food, find housing. And that was the intent. And um, when we moved out of this house, uh, we were working full time and a cleaning service we started. And so one of the things that happened is in the process of moving, I was about to sell a house. And she says, my mate Charlotte says, don't do that. What about we use this house for the women? What about they come in not paying nothing? Wow. And I said, man, we can't do that. And blah, 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 blah. She said, what about if we use the money that we don't need to live on from the cleaning service? What about if we use that money so that the women don't have to struggle? And I was like, Shh, I don't know about that. And I just started making legal money. <laughs> and now, yeah. you want me, now you want me to give it away? Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, uh, anybody know me today, I'll tell you, hey, <laughs> you put God on Trina, she'll move. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so that was the, the beginning of the concept, Trina, of Mending yeah. Hearts? Yes, that was truly the beginning concept, man. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, before we could get out of there real good, uh, you know, we brought that first woman in. And actually, she was from Michigan. And, uh, man, she came in. And uh, from there, I don't know where these women came from. Uh, but, you know, I printed out a little flyer. At that time, I worked at a printing service. I made my first brochure. I had a guy there that designed the logo for me. Uh, But there was a woman there. And uh, she recently passed two years ago. But I was telling her about it. And she said, tell me more about that outfit you're talking about. 
I said, well, I called her mom. I said, mom, you don't want to get in with these people. They some rough people, right? I said, but I'm going to help them get on their feet, get a job. I said, God been good to me, and I just want to go back and help people like me. I promised God if he could show me how not to live with the use of drugs, I'd be a servant. I said, so I want to go back and help these women. If I can do it, they can do it. She said, tell me a little bit more about it. And so I started telling about it. She said, well, you got to go get a 501c3. You got to go do this. You have to open a checking account. You need a board. And I was like, yeah, that's a lot. I don't know if I really want to do that. She said, if you're going to do it right, that's how you need to do it. And she said, she bring me this book. And I got it up there in my office, but she brings me this uh, book about this guy named Droopy who worked in the prison out there at the main prison. Looks like the castle, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I look in there and I'm reading. And then she showed me some pictures. She said, you know that little girl right there? I was like, no. I said, but this is very interesting. This man lived next door to the prison. They had a farm. The prisoners cooked uh, and engaged with the family, with his family. She said, yeah, that's my dad, Droopy. I said, what? (laughs) Uh, uh. Wow. She said, so I do know about those people. And I'm not afraid of those people. I was raised with those people. Like, whoa. So she busted my bubble real quick. Yeah. Next day, she comes in, hand me a check for $350 and say, hey, go open a bank account. Um, go sign up for the EIN number, and open a bank account, and let's get this started. Wow. And so I said, well, you know, I already have women in the house. She said, I know, but let's really get this started. And so, you know, she paid for my first, uh, the package of the nonprofit. She started calling friends from California, um, and she would call me every weekend and say, hey, I got some donations in my garage. Can you pick them up? Hey, I'm mailing you a check uh, from California. You'll get it. Uh, it's going to be for a twin bed and some comforters. I was like, what? And so, like, man, she just started generating resources, and it was unbelievable. And so one of the things that I said uh, to somebody not too long ago, I said, uh, I thought I knew the magnitude of God, but you really don't. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. And so she was truly the main reason that this thing ignited um, with the resources. I know I had the vision and I always tell people that. And when you're the visionary, you know, uh, you can see it all, but it take the people to make it reality. Right. And so as a result, man, uh, that stuff started coming in the first month. We were full house and I was getting multiple phone calls and I would go to work in the morning and the prison would call. And I pick a woman up on my lunch break. Charlotte would meet me at the house. And while we're in the car, we're going over rules and regulations at the application and telling them what the schedule would be and when we would be back after work. And we load those kids up, go Listen, we go check the house, pick the kids up, take them to our cleaning job, leave the cleaning job. We'd be done cooked the night before to have their dinner in the car when they get out of school. And 
Then we go clean. And after cleaning, we go back over and have a meeting with them. And then right at 10 o'clock, one of us will go over and do a house check. Wow. And that lasted mm-hmm. for a while. And uh, probably within 60, 90 days, we were forced to open up more units. And yeah. so we did some insane stuff. And we ended up in the first six months having four houses scattered across the city, two in South Nash, one in East, one in North. And, and so we were just running, spinning our wheels. And, and then we went over to create um, some house moms. Mm. And so we did that for about three years. And then this guy told me, uh, he said, hey, Trina, I want to take you to show you something. And so he took me over to this spot over in West Nashville, where we reside now. And he rides up, we ride up his street. And I'm familiar with the area and it's drug infested. Mm. And so we go up and these people sitting out on the sidewalk on the curve and they're in these lawn chairs. And all you do is pull up and give them your money. Mm-hmm. And you get your drugs. And so he pull up in this pothole of a driveway and say, uh, hey, come on. He gets out and I'm sitting in the car. Then he waves. I said, no, I'll wait right here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sitting now. Uh-huh. He said, no, this is it. I said, what is it? He said, what I want to show you. Man, I get out of there. We're in this pothole of a driveway. The front yard is covered with debris, trash. Broke down trailers. It might have been a washing machine or something out there. Then <laughs> I passed, I'm walking to six units. It's apartment building. Every door is off, windows missing. There's one unit, apartment two, that has a door on it, windows, and it's livable, right? Right. Um, and it is the only one with electricity and water. But they've got stension cords and hose pipes coming out of that one unit <laughs> to provide service to the other units. Uh-huh. And, uh, man, I walked by there and just the smell coming out of there would make you puke. Oh, man. Like, God, so dude, what are you thinking? And uh, he probably have told me one of the most powerful things that I've heard in my life. And it, 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 it's not huge. It ain't big. It don't come with a big blast. Um, but he said, you got to look past the rubbish. Mm. And I said, oh. And so I don't know if, you know, God take you places sometime. I remember coming home and thinking about it, going back over and walking it and trying to see what he saw and couldn't. Um, but then... One night I was woken about two o'clock in the morning and um, spoke to me and said, you know, it's one thing that uh, you want to change the lives of the women um, who are homeless and indigent uh, and restore their life. But what about the communities people like us have destroyed? And what about putting these women back over here to do cleanup and service work? to rebuild this broken community. Wow. And there were people trapped in their houses. The elders wouldn't come outside. I mean, it was crazy. Um, And so I went back and I was telling Charlotte about it. And she was like, whoa, that's a big task. I said, I know, you know, I think, did God tell you that or is that you? 
I said, <laughs> I felt like God just spoke to me. And so we struggled with how we would do it. And uh, we remember uh, somebody saying, you're going to have to call and get some support over here. You need to call the police. And I struggled with that because, you know, I've been on that side of the fence. And so that, that was huge. And so I know I didn't want nobody to go to jail. And I was like, man, but like, I ain't trying to put nobody in jail. But, you know, hey, I do want to help the community. And so uh, Charlotte helped me remember that, hey, you're not that person anymore. You know, you, you're really trying to provide an atmosphere here. And so, you know, I was able to talk to the assistant of the chief and um, they said, well, what we're going to do is we're, we're not, listen, it'll take a whole task force to get rid of them people. But we'll start patrolling in their air out a little bit. And the truth is they're going to go somewhere else, but at least it'll, they'll leave from there. And so mm-hmm. we did. About six months, we had it cleaned up. And, you know, these were drug infested. I didn't have any money uh, like to put down. I told the man, I said, listen, I will clean up, fix it, my own sweat and equity. I said, I won't pay you nothing for four months. And he said, huh? I said, well, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to pay. And I'm going to put this place back together. I'm going to clean it out. And uh, I said, the only way I call you, if the roof fall in, the flow fall in, major HVAC or something. He said, really? He said, you got this written up? I said, I get it for you. And so I, I was not computer savvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really know how to turn on a computer back then. Uh, but Charlotte did. And so uh, I thank God that she's taught me everything about computers today because I can get around a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, mm-hmm. I was able to go in there with no down payment. Uh, in four months, I would pay him $1,000. In the next four months, I would pay him 1500 And we would do that until I got up to $2,000. And I locked it in a lease to purchase so that I would have first right of refusal if I wanted to purchase. But it would also give me some time to figure out if this would work. Mm-hmm. And so we created that and uh, it worked. And then I seen him cross the street boarding up and went over there and asked him, could I rent that? Because now we got flux of women coming from prison, under the bridge, out of mental health co-op. Mm-hmm. We just flux of women. And yeah. it was more than we could even, I mean, handle. And so uh, I seen this guy over there. I talked to him about it. And he's like, well, what are you going to do with both sides? And I pointed across the street and he was like, you did that over there? I was like, yeah. And so I give him the same speech. Don't have no money. Uh, I give you 500, you know, first four months, 600 for the next. Da, 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 da. He said, and you gonna, you're not going to call me. I said, unless it's something major. And uh, he said, okay, you got that paperwork? I said, yep, I'll get it to you tomorrow. And uh, so you know, we've used that same domino effect from one mm. block to four blocks. Wow. And so we were able to uh, help these women in a four block radius. But but the beauty of it is, is that as we brought women in, we found that they had more needs than we could handle. Mm-hmm. And um, people start hearing about the program and people start volunteering. There's a woman named Monty Furlong. I think her man. Do you know she came in? Yeah, I know Monty. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Do too. She came in and she rotated and collaborated groups for me for free. Wow. 
for about two years solid. I'm talking about programmatic wise, but she had some powerful women to come in and rotate around. And even to this day, uh, that same group comes in and provide them a 12 step meeting. Mm, yeah. And so uh, she is truly instrumental. I had a doctor that came in that was interested in seeing if we could provide a quality of service, the same kind of quality of service as people like Cumberland Heights and other people do in treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, so we ran for a transitional program for a long time. And then we seen the need to provide more services. Well, that called for a license. Well, I'm a 17 time felon. They don't want to give felons license mm-hmm. to treat people. And so when I went through that, I, uh, I was denied. Uh, and there's a guy to stay dead and gone now. Uh, but he was instrumental in my recovery process of getting me the true services I need to help people. Wow. And then the other uh, piece of it was is that uh, I told my board that they denied me. And, uh, man, they formed a group of women lawyers. Mm. And I'm about a hundred of them. Wow. And they said, we'll appeal it. You don't have to do nothing. We'll take it from here. And so before I know it, they then got me in touch with an attorney. And they were like, we're not going to use a female attorney. We're going to put a male attorney to represent you. And I was like, why did all y'all hundred women come about? They said, listen, it's a special tactic, but we'll get it across. (laughs) (laughs) And so I go into my hearing. This guy comes in there. And the lady who's head of that legal department at the state says, hey, Trina, man, you bought a powerhouse, didn't you? (laughs) You know you didn't need that kind. I hope you didn't pay a whole lot, right? (laughs) And I I said, no, they say it's pro bono. She said, what? I was like, that's what they said. She said, who's they? I said, it's a group of uh, legal people. She said, oh, my God. She said, I just got punked. I said, what? She said, this is who my legal group was talking about. She said, Trina, you got clout. I said, I don't know what's going on. I just went and told my board that I got denied a license. She said, well, it looks like you got some good people on your board. (laughs) (laughs) And so she said, uh, all right. She said, this is going to be quick. Don't worry. I was like, all right. And so I, um, I go in and the attorney steps and say, I'm here to represent Miss Frasson, blah, 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 blah. And uh, she had already whispered something in there. It's like, well, we want to hear from Miss Frasson. I was like, but y'all told me I need an attorney. <laughs> and so I began to tell them why I really wanted to be in this process and this program. And uh, when I got through, they were standing up, clapping, a standing ovation. And I didn't realize wow. what was going on. Uh, but, um, whatever they bought into the mission and 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 it no longer was about who the representation of my legal standpoint was you know what i'm saying it was really about the mission of helping those women and i walked out of there with a license that day to treat women clinically now and so the beauty of that as well is is that i had a doctor dr murray he's dead and gone now uh, but he has worked with me from day one of getting my license in 209 until he died probably two years ago. Um, 
but he stayed with us. He taught us. He educated us. He helped me build that. And that man never took a dime until after two years when he was there. Wow. He was so embedded in trying to help those women recover. And so as we continued down the road in that four block radius, we were able to design the program from transitional to some IOP, to some clinical services. And so now we have even a medical detox. And so, you know, I tell anybody, don't be stuck on who you were. Really pay attention to who you are. Mm. And so my past was truly my past. And I'm able to stand on top of that past and build now. I stand on the shoulders of my past. I am equipped to move past my past. Yeah. And, mm. and, and it's really about circling yourself around good people, uh, great vibes, uh, people who are striving to not only make themselves better, but make this world a better place. You know, I'm, I'm so at peace with what I've done in the past um, because I think it has encouraged me to be a better human today. And so, you know, we, we, we got a medical detox, you know, um, I'm a 17-time felony. Uh, you barely see felons running major treatment centers. Right. You, <laughs> you don't, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's been really transforming for me to heal along the way and to see my purpose. Uh, and because... We, we've been in places where I didn't even take checks. We've been in places where, you know, hey, I've given up salaries to make a salary. Uh, but, but, but that's the mission. You know, I, I had a cleaning service. And so, you know, paying my staff instead of paying me was more important. But as a result, you know, now, you know, I got a 28-man team, uh, maybe 30. Uh, I lose count at times. But, you know, uh, we're talking about you know, the addict who was able to hire a medical director, hire a nurse practitioner, hire RNs, counselors, you know, people who are a lot smarter than me. I believe that, you know, running any type of business or entity, you always have to circle around the people who are smarter than you. You know, people think I'm the brightest, right? But but collectively and forming the team, that wheelhouse there, they're the brightest because mm-hmm. they make the engine run, <laughs> You know, right. I just oversee the production of it, you know, um, yeah. and I'm grateful that I was able to go through the production process of building it. And so um, kudos to that team over there because, man, they make my life simple uh, and I get to continue to vision what's next. Right. Because there's always in missions and nonprofits and even businesses, there's always got to be what's next. Right, right. And so they give me the comfortability to come back and treat um, the new episodes of Mending Hearts. And so Mending Hearts is a nonprofit organization built off my personal history of being that homeless addict, uh, not getting all the adequate services I needed in my recovery. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. the beauty of this is now is that we have a medical detox. We have uh medication-assisted treatment. We have a residential 28-day. We have an intensive outpatient 
program. Then we also have a blackout program, 30 days, where women don't even have to rush and go find a job. They can kind of get find this skill set, what they really want to do, and then go to work and then follow within their 12-step meetings of building network. You know, we have women that have come through here, have been nurses, lost the nursing license. Now they're back. They're RN again. We have a girl who just finished the bar. Uh, she's living in another city. Um, and she'll come back and speak at our breakfast. I mean, she's gone back to school and now she's an attorney. Uh, wow. We have a woman who come out of our program. We um, oversee our staff, have the ability to go to become a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. And one of the perks that we offer there is their supervision and their core functions. And so one of uh, these ladies have now, and she's five, four years in, now maybe three years in to getting her LADAC license, but she just went back to Lipson, full ride scholarship and got a bachelor's, then a master's. But these people have come to work for Mending Hearts. They participate back with Mending Hearts. Um, come and do groups. And then some of the women who come through our program are now on staff. So I'll probably have four, if not five alumni on staff because that therapeutic value is important in recovery. And so we are the best doctor uh, to help diagnose our solutions. Oh yeah. Well, Trina, this is, gosh, I mean, this is amazing. And I would, I would love to give you another hour and a half. I mean, we just, this could be the best, the best two part episode we've ever done. (laughs) What (laughs) would be a way that people can contact you before we get away? I want people to um, know how to contact you, what to, you know, what would be the best first step if they thought mending hearts might be an opportunity for a loved one. Well, definitely go to the website. Um, www.mending, M-E-N-D-I-N-G, hearts, H-E-A-R-T-S, I-N-C, dot O-R-G. Mendingheartsinc.org is the website. Uh-huh. Please, please visit the website. Uh, our phone number is 615-385-1696. Uh, reach us on any account. First phase would really be to go on the website, fill out a pre-screen, uh, we'll look at that, but you can also make that phone call and we can coach you through the website. Uh, but a lot of our information, I will say that we are going through a website update, uh, but you should be able to find that pre-screen on there uh, to get through. Um, but definitely follow us on Facebook. We, we respond to Facebook as well. Um, again, that's MendingHeartsInc.org. Um, you can always reach me personally at 615-668-2260, and I will assist you in any way I can. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, what uh, what an inspiring story. Um, at, can't thank you enough, Trina, for taking time to share with us and with our audience. Absolutely. All right, Trina, thanks so much. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right. Stick with us, friends. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, I don't have anything. 
I don't have anything left to say. I <laughs> <laughs> away. Uh, Trina Frierson is somebody we wanted to get onto the program for a while. And um, I am so inspired by so many things she said. And I hope our listeners, if they have loved ones who might be in some of those transitional seasons in life, can take advantage of um, of what she and her program might offer. So, well, uh, before we wrap, David, tell us uh, tell us about our sponsor. Will you? Yeah, our sponsor is Try Better Help H-E-L-P, trybetterhelp.com. And Try Better Help is an online therapy service with licensed therapists and professionals. Um, we have about 500,000 subscribers to Try Better Help. And if you will go to trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, you'll get 10% off on the first month services where you can get 24-7 access to a licensed therapist um, and uh, no pesky waiting rooms, especially in the COVID era. And uh, you can even sign up to get the same therapist every time with a visit. So go to the website, trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. All right. Uh, And uh, so thank you for joining us this week. By the way, uh, thank you as well. Those of you who have written in to tell us how you are coping with the pandemic, how the pandemic has uh, enriched your recovery, challenged your recovery, uh, and we'd love to hear from more of you. Absolutely. Our email address is positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Until next week, I'm Nate. I'm David. We're your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe by (laughs) Kathy Gifford.